Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate and pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get First up, uh, it's been great to see so many people backing our Patreon campaign, uh, but we still have a way to go to reach our first goal, which will allow us to start producing transcripts of these discussions, which is something that I know lots of people would like. Though, admittedly, many of the people who are asking for transcripts are probably the people who are not listening to this, but uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, uh, please go check out patreon.com slash techdirt, and if you already are supporting it, thank you very, very much. Now, in one of our recent podcasts, we had a discussion on where we all get our news from these days. And towards the end, uh, one of the tangents that we briefly started to go down was on the question of whether or not point-counterpoint journalism is a good idea. The setup for those discussions is fairly straightforward. Some media entity will pick a controversial topic and will assign one person to provide one view and another person to provide an opposing view. And voila, everyone gets to see both sides of an issue. It's a framing that is really popular and one that on the last podcast, Hirsch suggested uh, that more publications, including TechTurt, should do more of in order to bring in different readers and maybe convince readers of you know one thing or another. And on that podcast, I disagreed <laughs> for, for a variety of reasons. And I figured that we could, uh, rather than have that as a brief aside, as we did in the last podcast, we could have it out as a full discussion, which is what today's podcast is going to be about. Now, I think that there are many problems with setting things up as sort of point-counterpoint. And I'll discuss a few of what I see as the problems uh, up front here, and then we'll get into the discussion. I think first, it suggests that that a lot of these things are kind of binary discussions, that for every issue, there's a pro side and a con side. Uh, and if you just sort of present both sides, then you get all the views. But most controversial issues are heavily nuanced, and doing a pure point-counterpoint or pro-con debate basically wipes out any chance for nuanced arguments in, in what I've seen. Second, even in cases where um, a media organization brings in multiple people to discuss multiple viewpoints, and this is something that the New York Times actually does pretty well on some of these discussions, we'll bring in maybe four or five people to discuss things, I still think it's rarely all that enlightening. They tend to uh, to be people who just kind of go into their corners and make their case and kind of leave it at that. And to some extent, it reminds me of what I think is potentially one of the problems with the judicial system where everything is set up in extremes with two sides sort of fighting things out uh, rather than trying to figure out what an optimal solution might be. Now, I'll admit that back in college, I actually had the idea of creating a magazine where uh, each issue of the magazine uh, would take a controversial issue of some point of, of some kind and then try to cover all the different viewpoints. Uh, in part, the idea was to highlight that most of these issues don't just have two sides, 
But in retrospect, I tend to think even this uh, that idea that I had was kind of silly too. As a media organization, I'd much prefer to try to figure out what actually is sort of the best solution or the most optimized solution overall and having just two sides fighting it out to support their position rather than collaboratively trying to come up with what might be a more optimal outcome seems kind of like a waste of time to me and I, I don't know that it's very effective overall. But since Hirsch disagreed with me on that, we're going to discuss it today along with our other co-host Dennis Yang. And so despite the fact that I just said I dislike point-counterpoint arguments, um, uh, I'm going to now hand this over to Hirsch to give the counterpoint <laughs> on, on why you think it's, a, it's an effective way of, of having these kinds of discussions that actually bring in other sides and actually get people to, to consider other points of view. Have you ever watched uh, <laughs> a Oxford-style debate? Yeah, sure. I've participated in some. Have you ever had your opinion changed by watching or participating in a debate um, like that? I I don't think I have, honestly. And this is actually my and, – and the Oxford-style debates are a little bit different, but – and and just for background for people who don't know what the Oxford style debate is, it's it's a similar setup where it's you, you, there's a, a proposal or or I forget what they call it right? a motion a, a motion right and it's a you know like I actually just listened to one recently that was like you know o Obama's foreign policy was a failure or something like that right and then you have two people or you know or a, a group of people who make the argument for the, the motion and then a, a group of people who, who make an argument against the motion. And the way it's, it's scored or judged is that before the debate, uh, the audience will vote. And then after the debate, the audience will vote again. And it's basically who moved the most, right, in terms of, you know, who convinced more people to either change their vote or, you know, go from undecided to, to, uh, mm. to one side of the motion. And while I find those interesting and, and occasionally interesting to listen to, I tend to think that they're not very, um, very effective either because for the, the, same, the same kind of reason where you have, you know, you have a bunch of people who already do have um, an opinion on it. And if you have a, a, a debate topic where, um, where you already have a lot of people who feel one way or the other, they're going to come into it having voted one way. And, you know, and I think that actually makes the, you know, it makes the whole setup of that kind of debate unfair. Um, because, you know, then they have to convince a lot more people if they've already started at a, at a very high bar um, in order to do it. But I also think, again, like, no, it, it's a change in opinion that matters, sure. right? So, so it, even if you start with a hundred percent of people on the other side, then you yeah. Know, but if you start with a hundred percent of the people on the other side, then the other side can't win, right? They automatically lose. Even well, if, no, I mean you could you could you could basically consider. Well, nobody is. It's never you know practically speaking, it's never a hundred percent, right? But, but 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 theoretically, right? I mean, think about right. it that way, right? You could have a debate where. You know, going in, 100% of the people agree with the, the motion and 0% mm -hmm. disagree. And at the end, it's 90-10. And yet, even even the side that still well, has 90% of the people agreeing is going to lose that debate. Well, right? as a counterpoint to what you're saying, if you're, going in, <laughs> if you're going into a debate where you literally have 100% of the people against you, sure. you, you're going into a heroic debate <laughs> and, you're, uh, and you're walking into the lion's den because nobody agrees with you. It, it, Fair it, enough. It's, it's typically not. And that's also typically not the 
kind of topic that people debate, right? I mean, a debate where 100% of the people disagree with you is usually something along the lines of, is the sun a sphere or is it a circle? Like, you know what I mean? That kind of dumb sure, shit. Sure, but, but, so. but, but to some extent, right, I mean, to some, that kind of gets at my point. I mean, my problem with these kinds of things, like, I, you know, I find those interesting to listen to. I very, I, I, I very rarely find that I, I change my mind based on them. You know, the ones where... But what, you know, what, is, what is the, I guess you mentioned before, you know, an effective conversation? Like, what, what, what is your measure? What are you trying so, to so get I, from I, the conversation? So, so my argument is that if there's a way that you can do something that is basically like, here's, here's a problem or yeah. here's a, you know, a, a challenge or something, and, and then actually allows people to discuss, like, you know, the fact that there aren't easy solutions. Like, if it's something that's worth debating right mm -hmm. Th that generally means there aren't sort of easy solutions to it like let's and you're not, like, not going to walk away with everyone agreeing on something no no you're not going to walk away with everyone yeah. agreeing but what what i find much more powerful and interesting is when people are able to intellectually honestly lay out the fact that like this is difficult yeah you know here are some pros and some cons where they're actually willing to admit the cons themselves so that, that, mm -hmm. that you can have an honest and frank discussion. When it's this sort of point-counterpoint, it automatically becomes this sort of game where you're sort of pulling for your side and it, it almost I becomes see. sort of like a political yeah, situation. No, I understand. It, I, so what you're basically saying is it's kind of like the debate that occurs within an Economist article, right? Where the where the author of the art article clearly will have a view by the end of the article. Like he's decided for himself something. but. As, he, as you're proceeding through the article, you'll see points for and against, right? So that's what they try to do, or a Wall Street Journal article or something like that, right? Which, which does that. But having said that, I mean, when I say point and counterpoint, I mean it, I don't mean, I, I understand your problem with it. What you're basically saying is it becomes kind of like a CNN uh, talk show or something like that <laughs> where there's a, there's a red and a blue hat and they just like yell at each other and they essentially misrepresent what the other person is saying and it's not very productive, right? right. I think that's obviously kind of the lowest form of debate. Um, <laughs> there's, there's like that kind of misdirection and things like that. But here's the thing. There's, there's, there's different kinds of audiences and for different kinds of audiences, different types of debate are appropriate, right? And so let, let's say you're talking about an audience, a very like well-read sort of policy experts already, right? Let, let's say we're, we're mm -hmm. like, for example, Maznik, we, we together we've often found ourselves at different places where we are in an audience of lawyers who are patent lawyers or software engineers talking about patent law, right? And the, all of these people have already had sort of first-person experience with the patent law system either as sort of... Uh, defendants in lawsuits or as lawyers working in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. So within that audience, saying particular things, uh, you know, not particular things, but like when you lay out a position, right, it's, it's, uh, it isn't necessarily taken as, uh, look, how, how do I put this? You will not get kind of the kind of sort of uh, mischaracterization you would get in like a political debate on a stage at like a presidential debate, right? It's just kind of pointless. Like people on your own side will think you're ridiculous, right? It's a very kind of a professional topic and, a, and people will approach it kind of professionally, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's other kinds of topics that and for which... It's very diff it's very hard to find a professional audience like that like if you're debating say abortion right there are certain places of course where you can even debate abortion in the same kind of way and that'll typically be in 
in a place where it's like a philosophy class or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Where where everyone wants to come at it from a very logical, philosophical kind of a point of view, and they don't bring a lot of emotions to the table. But in general, topics like abortion, if you debate them in almost any circumstance, it's bound to become emotional, right? So perhaps in those kinds of things, point, counterpoint, don't make much sense. But I'm talking about generally the kind of topics like like patent law, like copyright or something like that, where where for the most part, when people are talking about these things, they can approach it from sort of systems perspective. What's efficient? What will cause the most amount of creativity so, to occur, right? Et right. And so so here here's the thing with that. And, and, and I, like, I agree with that, but I think the whole setup of point counterpoint still puts you into sort of teams, right? Like, I'd much rather like if we're going to have a discussion on that, set it up in a way that where, you know, the people who are doing the discussing or the arguing or whatever are actually able to, you know, change their own minds as as the discussion goes. Right. General Colin Powell said a very uh, (laughs) appropriate thing, you know, with regards to debates. He said, you know, never put your ego so close to your position that when your position goes, your ego goes too, right? So you're, oftentimes when people come to a debate, maybe they need to be coached, right? Maybe they need to be coached in the sense that, like, look, this is not about you. This is about a position you are taking. Perhaps you're even taking the position the way a advocate in a court takes a position, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, even if you lose a case, well, you fought. You're, you're just kind of a, a figurehead for that position to, to sort of promote that position for the night or for the evening or for the discussion. And it's not really, it's not really like, oh, well, you lost, you know, you've changed your mind. Now it's at a loss. Like I, I you know, having said that, I think it's, it's hard for people to kind of divorce themselves sure. from that. I mean, I find my, even in, even in real life, sometimes where I, when I change my opinion, like people will be like, but you just changed your opinion. Like you, <laughs> you, you, you said the exact opposite thing. And I'm like, yeah, I, I heard some facts. I, I can't remember why I believe the other position at the moment. And so I'm just changing my position. Like, why would I waste time, you know, trying to bail water out of a sinking <laughs> ship? So people should be like that. Now, they're not always. And certainly politics isn't the kind of thing where you can just casually abandon and switch sides, um, you know, willy nilly. It has real sort of, I guess, real consequences for the players. So I wouldn't say it's appropriate for that kind of a discussion. But certainly if we, if we were to sit here, Mike, and discuss, uh, uh, say, copyright or something. Actually, Mike, do you remember the first time we had copyright <laughs> debates? I was firmly a copyright maximalist. Do you remember yes. this? I, 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 if I recall correctly, I believe we were sitting in a, in a pizza place yeah. <laughs> somewhere, and I believe that we got into an argument that went on for hours, and there were a number of people around us who were not happy with that. Yeah, us. they were just like, why? And we were yelling at each other and stuff. Or maybe I was doing the yelling. And going, but, but, but I mean, I, I don't think that when I switched sides on that debate, I even apologized to you. I was just like, I, I'm done. I, I changed my mind. It's just different. So, uh, I mean, was, was, was that one by a point counterpoint debate? I think it it was, but it wasn't Mike's uh, counterpoint on that night that did it. I think it was. I think essentially what happened was. I, mean, I planted really the go? seed. <laughs> yeah, it, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you the credit for that. But I, I think what it was was, and this is per- perhaps an interesting thing to explore. I think if you want to convert someone from a position where they are, mm-hmm. you have to understand why they believe in that position, and then you need to sort of sell them the counterpoint in a way that meshes with their existing values. And so I'll tell you what happened with me in copyright was that like I became 
I was very much kind of a socialist in college. You when were? I graduated, I was like working in Silicon Valley and, and I started seeing that like a lot of this like very collectivist stuff was not working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I, I gradually became more and more libertarian. And at the point where I had this argument with Mike, I think like fresh converts to any new cause, <laughs> I think I was probably a fresh convert to libertarianism for whom and for libertarians, a lot of times property rights are like a big deal. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, the property I was a, kind of became a property rights maximalist in, in like in, by the way I was early twenties stupidity but <laughs> but but here's the thing but here's the thing right like I think the reason the way somebody converted me away from that was to essentially uh, sort of you know the bigger reason I became a libertarian I think was probably and I don't know if I'm even a libertarian now but the bigger reason I was sympathetic to the libertarians I think was because I began to see how ineffective a lot of regulations were, how wasteful mm-hmm. they were, and how sort of large government bureaucracies were causing so many problems. Right. And the way someone won me over to that, to that sort of the the sort of more open uh, information uh, sort of uh, ethos was by essentially saying, look, you you are in order to enforce copyright laws and patent laws and things like that, you need to create these huge bureaucracies, and they're going to often get it wrong. Yeah. And so what you have to ask yourself is, as a libertarian type of a person is, is the good that you get from enforcing these sort of uh, abstract property rights, is it be- is it, does it overcome the huge amount of downsides, right? And that argument, I thought about it and I turned it in my head. I think it was literally over one car drive. And I was like, <laughs> you know, that makes, that makes sense. And now I can understand, like, the, the costs are just too high. And then... And then when I started to look at sort of different kinds of people's alternative business models and how it was kind of really stopping people from making startups and things like that, then I, it, I really, it really gathered steam for me. So that kind of a debate, right, it can come from point-counterpoint, Mike, right? It, it, it's not the kind of counterpoint, counterpoint we often see. It takes a very nuanced debater, right? Yeah, Some, and, and, and look, I'm not saying that, that there should never be debate. Like, I mean, even in the, the, the type of situation that I'm talking about, I, I am saying debate. W- what I have a problem with is is when it's set up as like this idea that the that this is how the media should cover controversial issues. So so I'm, I'm more narrowly focusing it, that, that this is how the media should handle these issues. And it's, well, this is complicated. We're not going to take a stand, but we're going to present <laughs> both both sides of the story. Who's who's calling for the media to be covering issues in this way? Is this well? I mean, lots of people. They, you know, they cosmetically each channel does this, right? So but they're, they're saying like equal, like equal airtime type policies. I mean, it, or, well, I mean, no. even in when some you watch, cases, but, even yeah. when you watch Fox News, they will bring over some kind of a liberal talking head. The type of person they'll bring over to kind of I've wa- I've had to watch a lot of Fox News because um, <laughs> different extended family watch them. Uh, <laughs> My wife's family is quite conservative, so I have watched a lot of Fox News and a lot of the, I, I've I, I, and that you know I'm sure MSNBC does the same kind of a thing, but I you know I, I don't go to uh, any households that watch MSNBC, <laughs> so I don't know. But but for Fox News, this certainly happens. What they'll do is they'll they'll have a particular tone on a particular topic, whether mm-hmm. it be like Black Lives Matters or whatever, and they'll bring somebody to sort of debate the other point. And the person that they bring. Like, like when someone makes a statement, I immediately start thinking of kind of, you know, all the ways the statement is wrong and all the logical reasons and all the holes. Well, the person they bring on to debate 
you I would always expect him to raise some very obvious points that were wrong in the other in the statement that the news anchors at Fox News would have made, but they never do. They make some other kinds of really obtuse statements. Yeah, well, that's they not what they're there for. <laughs> no, but they but they should, right? I mean, you should you should raise the obvious kind of factual issues and like you should make sort of you should pick out sort of where the logical problems are with your opponent but they they don't bring that kind it's not that kind of an honest debate it's not a battle between equals it's more like it's like some c stringer from the democratic side fighting against the a stringer of that the gop turns out right and i'm sure the same thing happens on msnbc what i think is a really uh productive point counterpoint Mm -hmm. is when there are two people who are actually colleagues Right to begin with, and they're friendly with each other. You just so happen to disagree deeply about some particular issue, True. and when and when su- such people debate, uh, you'll sometimes see law professors do this, right, uh, for yep. an audience in law school. It's yeah. very productive because they 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 respect each other's points. They don't they don't they don't go off on tangents. They don't raise straw men. There isn't any ad hominem, right? That that that, that those kinds of things are kind of the flesh and blood of of TV point counterpoint. But those things are not even used, like. Fox News, 99% of the time, when, when somebody raises a point that's inconvenient to the message that Fox News wants to get across, they will just go off on a tangent. Like, so, for example, if you say, uh, if you're talking about, let's say, police brutality or something like that, they'll say, yeah, but, you know, look how much worse police brutality is in Saudi Arabia. And our administration is embracing Saudi Arabia. Like, okay, that's a bad thing. But what does that have to do with police brutality here? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like... It, it'll just be some completely tangential thing. And it's, it's, nobody calls it out on the, the counterpoint side, right? So you need, you need honest debaters, essentially. You, you, need, you need people that respect each other and that are going to kind of adhere to the rules, right? Sure, sure, sure. And, and I, I think, you know, and, and there are some cases where I think that makes sense. I, I think my, my larger problem is just the idea that this is, this is basically the standard way in which, you know, and, and you know, part of this stems from the discussion that people keep having these days about like, you know, is the media honest on this issue or that? And people get upset because of the way they cover certain issues. And, you know, when you discuss like, well, what what is a better way to, to cover controversial issues? You know, the one thing that ke- keeps coming up is this idea of just doing point counterpoint. And to me, you know, a little bit of, of my concern about it is, is that I think you know, one of the, one of the things that annoys me about the way the media often covers certain issues is they they do he said she said versions of it, which is like you take mm-hmm. a position, you say, you know, well, you know, these party these these people say, you know, this is a good thing, and these people say it's bad, and then they make no effort to then actually, you know, figure out who's right, <laughs> and and you know, not that there necessarily has to be a, a right answer, but you know. I'd much rather a discussion that is aiming towards zeroing in on the truth rather than figuring out, you know, what two people can we have, you know, sort of yell about this issue. Yeah, I mean, uh, raising your voice, though, you know, I raise my voice a lot when I get excited. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't think the bad part about that is raising the voice. I think I think the bad part is when somebody raises their voice and then they don't listen to the other person, right? Like, I think, I, I think that's... But, you know, there have been several times where I've, like, seen people raise their voice in television debates, and it's because the person they're debating with is an imbecile, right? So you have to, you have to very carefully, 
and, and they're just not they're just so obtuse right like so there's you have to make sure that the person that you have on both sides that that they're both informed people and they both are um kind of on an even playing field right like you can't have one guy that's just full of stats and and stuff like that uh and just actually you know and then the other person is just kind of dragged off the street because the person with the stats will just browbeat the other person right and yeah but but then then what happens is then then those stories go viral and you you get headlines about so-and-so destroys so-and-so that's exactly my point you need to have kind of no first of all like i i think any debate that just you can you obviously you should resort to stats when someone makes some a statement that's like completely factually wrong right but but your information should then be like just kind of loctite what i really hate for example in gmo debates is when somebody pull there's no consensus right uh on on a particular topic and someone will bring one study out of 500 that says Mm -hmm. one particular thing and even the way it says it is marginal and they'll and they'll essentially pull it out to say, hey, this study shows that GMO corn causes, uh, you know, childhood abnormalities or something, right? And the other person would have to be familiar with that study or have another study <laughs> on it. It's nonsensical, right. right? So it that's not the proper way to debate as well. So the role of the moderator is always going to be important, right? And so you need but again, to have to- I mean, you're, you're going back to this idea of sort of like, you know, TV debate or, or something like that, right? No, it doesn't have to be. I mean, there, I've read debates and I don't remember in what format, I can't, for, format, I don't remember if it was Ted or, no, it was The Economist. The Economist used to have these written debates. Yeah, they do that. Both The yeah. Economist and The New York Times pretty regularly do that. Right. And those are, on, depending on how interested you are in the topic, those can be very good because like, it's very easy to see when uh, a person is BSing or using a straw man or, or, you know, that sort of a thing in, in, in sort of a written debate. Whereas, you know, with just spoken language, it's, it's much harder to see, right? Like a lot of times, like in presidential debates, people get away with not answering the question mm-hmm. because of the way things are, are, are said, right? Like people mm-hmm. just kind of do a little slate of hand, uh, David Blaine style and poof. You know, like the question wasn't answered, but the time is over, right? Uh, you can't do that in writing because the question is sitting right there in like 12-point font, bold, underlined. And then you're writing this stuff and it's just not responsive to the thing that's on top. Uh, and that kind of a thing, you know, so so when you say count, uh, point, counterpoint, I, I do think there's a way to do it verbally. And I think it definitely is very effective in the written form. Yeah, I, I just, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, when when I end up reading those, I don't feel like I come away any more enlightened. I feel like um reading, you know, sort of exaggerated positions by everyone who is, you know, just sort of focused on pulling for their side to win in the debate. Yeah, I mean, that that's, I think that's what it feels like you're speaking towards. Like point counterpoint is like, as if debates were won by keeping score and you tally yeah. it up at the end. And yes. Go ahead. I, I just think that that, you know, that just sort of further entrenches viewpoints rather than, you know, coming up with actual, you know, nuanced, interesting solutions. Well, the only way you're going to change people's opinion, right, is if the people themselves are a little bit open-minded. I mean, so the you certainly the wrong debater can sort of close people's minds off completely right like mm-hmm. like i i feel like a lot of times um 
when when people are discussing uh, social programs, right? Mm-hmm. And and someone is 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 trying to reform the social program, right? The way it's always framed in the debate is to say that the person who's trying to reform the social program is trying to deprive the people who are the beneficiaries of the program of you know food or whatever it is, right? Sure. And, and not that they're trying to make it better or create a better solution. So. In a lot of debates, when, you, when, you're, when you're talking about that kind of stuff in the Bay Area, it's almost impossible to sort of argue for the other side because your, your motivations are already called into question, right? In situations like that, uh, if you want to convince someone, you actually, you almost have to be a mole, right? You almost have to be, come in from the other side and, then, and sort of, you know, not talk about the program specifically, but talk about the people and then talk about like what are better solutions, you know, talk about yeah, how the sure. programs aren't working, right? So that doesn't fit in a, in a, in a point. But here's, here's point, my counterpoint. If, if you're put on the other side of a stage, sure, right? But, but I still think in the course of a debate, if the two people who are participating are respectful of each other, even though the audience had this prejudice about the person who's sitting on the other side of the table, if he is colleagues with the other guy that he's debating, and the other guy extends him every generosity in terms of not imputing these things. Or, and maybe even goes out of his way to say, hey, you know, so-and-so is a great person and he's done so much work for in charities, blah, blah, blah. Then the audience will be disposed to kind of listen to what the guy says. But the, you have to think about the two opponents and the moderator as kind of a team, right? Like they are all there on a right, truth-seeking but, 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 mission. But if, and, and, and that would be great. Like if you could set it up in that way, like I think that, that would be great. But just the whole fact of like pro-con, point-counterpoint doesn't suggest that, right? That suggests two entrenched interests that are going to, to you know, advocate for their side. Like if you set it up as like here is big intractable, intractable problem A – you know, here are people with knowledge about it, and we are going to try to, you know, come up with a way to sort of, you know, improve the the solution space for this problem. And and we're going to have a sort of open, you know, forum discussion about it. That would be great, and I'd be all for that. But that's not the way it's structured. Mm. <laughs> Wait, did I just win? No, I mean, <laughs> I mean. I mean, your criticism is valid in terms of kind of like, you know, a lot of point counterpoint that we see. Um, and, and maybe I'm being idealistic here. I, I know I've definitely seen respectful debates like that sure. uh, on YouTube. And I, I'm trying to think of the forums in which people have these debates. There are a few. And like, I actually just saw one. I mean, you were talking about law professors and, and there's one uh, which is done by, I think it's like University of Richmond. They have this thing called the evil twin debate. Mm-hmm. where they um, uh, and it's always about intellectual property so you would actually enjoy these Hirsch um, and uh, they always sort of bring two sort of you know big shot leading uh, academics on on IP issues that they refer to as evil twins because they're sort of both super well respected in their particular field but they happen to have opposing points of view on, on particular topics mm-hmm. and they have a very very you know I, I've only seen one they just did one on on copyright and APIs, mm-hmm. um, which was really good. And, but it, it was a sort of very, you did know, you change your mind or do you feel like you no. learned something? <laughs> no. Cause I, you know, I have, I, 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 I know the right answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, and I, I supported my team on that one, <laughs> but, but, um, 
you know, but but I I don't see that many forums where it's actually like let's let's actually, you know, let's let's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to suggest something though, Maznik. Yeah, there is absolutely no reason why you should watch a debate on some copyright <laughs> topic. You're wasting your time, right? Because I mean, <laughs> once you've participated in them in that, in that, you've seen every nuance of every argument. It's kind of a waste of time. Well. Yeah, the, I mean that was one that the, is the a lot format of debate, so. is useful if you go into something that you are a little less sure about. Like, so for example, like you know, I don't know what you're less sure about. Maybe free trade or something <laughs> like that, right? Well, like, no, so I, I, well, I'll give you an example that actually that that and I I've spoken about this before. I don't think on the podcast in particular, but like a few years ago, Santa Clara Law University had uh, this really great um, I forget what they called it. It was like a symposium on um, uh, the software patents, but it was the the framing of it was actually really great. I thought mm -hmm. because it was basically like, how do we fix the software patent problem? And you had people like Intellectual Ventures and some other sort of trollish operations who were there and very angry and and complained that this is a biased framing because it it assumes that software patents are a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, like I actually thought the event itself was so much better and so much more interesting and so much more enlightening because you had that because you had that given you had software patents are a problem. But, but nobody's come up with a really good way to, mm -hmm. to, to solve it. Um, so let's have a, an all-day thing where different people will sort of just present different proposals along with kind of an open discussion on Did different ideas on, on how to deal with the problem of software patents. And people came up with all sorts of different ideas and there was debate. I'm surprised and, people and, didn't just say abolish them, done, well, and everyone agreed. Oh, you mean pragmatically speaking, like we'd never yeah, be able to yeah. get Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was, you know, and there were like FTC people there mm -hmm. and, and PTO people there and stuff. So th there were... Wait a minute. The FTC and the PTO people were willing to go with the premise that they're bad? They they were willing to participate in the in the conference that there were problems with the patent system around software patents. Yes, mm -hmm. and and so you know there were some interesting ideas and ideas that I hadn't heard of and, and hadn't thought about, and some of them I I didn't think would be very effective, and and some of the ones that I did think would be you know effective, people gave really good detailed reasons for why they might not be that effective, mm -hmm. and so it was a really really interesting. Um, the event, the entire event, I thought was really, really productive. And and in part, I think it was because of the structure and the framing of it, where it was really about like, let's discuss real solutions. And, you know, people still debated and people still disagreed. In fact, there was one fairly famous person who actually got up and started yelling as <laughs> walking through the audience, but I'm not going to say who that was. <laughs> uh, people who were there know very well. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, so it, it it still was was a heated debate, but it was actually like I thought it actually got people thinking and some people changing their mind in an effective way that that wasn't, um, you know, wasn't what what most people would do, which was set up a panel that says like software patents, good or bad. And then you'd have, you know, intellectual ventures on one side and, you know, some, you know, somebody else on the other side just, you know, arguing and nobody would get would be any wiser at the end of it. Yeah, uh, although those kinds of things also 
have a danger of kind of descending into kind of just a feel good circle jerk too. So, but it, I mean, it, it wasn't. I mean, again, yeah, like, no, there, there, was, I mean, there was a lot of disagreement, and it was because mm-hmm. people had different different mm-hmm. approaches to how how do they take on this actual problem. But it was sort of this open discussion where people were exploring different ideas and saying like, would this fix the problem? Because and it's sort of part of it was that it got you beyond that initial stage of good or bad in which, mm-hmm. you know, you have people sort of grouped into those things, but actually getting them to the point of, of coming up with an actual solution. And, and so maybe, maybe that's my problem with so many of these debates, which is basically they sort of descend into good, bad and, and not like, you know, this is, this is an issue and we need to deal with that issue and let's discuss the best way to deal with that issue. Mm. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, you <laughs> can, left you can, speechless. No, well, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to absorb what you're saying without sort of getting sidetracked to talk sure, about sure. sort of patent stuff again. Uh, but <laughs> but um, I, I, think, I, I think we're basically saying the same thing and just differing in semantics. Because what you are describing yeah. is, is, uh, is a situation where people are taking different positions and just being respectful about disagreements, right? And Mostly. What, yeah. And what I'm saying is even if you were to take the very diametrically opposite positions of what intellectual ventures as a pro patent company mm-hmm. would might have and, and EFF might have as sort of a more nuanced or anti patent uh organization, I think even they can have a decent debate on it so long as they don't impute sort of bat- malice on the other party. In this case of course that's impossible because I V is pretty <laughs> malicious but I'm, I'm just saying uh, for example i think you could have a very decent debate with a, uh, some very pro kind of a patent patent professor uh, you know intellectual property professor sure. uh and i know a few oh, or you know I, I know some law firm partners that are like true believers in sure. the patent system you know with them you could have a debate with them and and eff uh, and i think it would be quite good in fact i i there's a there's a few or at least one lawyer I know is who's like famous in Silicon Valley that that I know that if he if he ever had a really long debate on this subject, he's a very logical guy. I feel like you could convince him <laughs> within you know maybe five or six hours. Oh gosh, you know that patents, <laughs> software patents are a really bad idea. But it's just that no one's ever going to have this debate with him, right? Uh-huh. Because. The only, you know, he's, you're essentially when you're at the top of your, or your game like that, like who's going to basically tell you that your, that your, your practice area is like, you know, perhaps bad for the economy. Like, no one's gonna <laughs> bad for that. society, but yeah, no, no. And, and I get that. And I think there are a few different things that, that and, and we're sort of jumping back and forth between them and, and, and maybe that's part of the issue, but like, you know, I'm, I'm not arguing that it never makes sense to have sort of debates where people kind of go, go up and, and have a discussion. And in fact, you know, this very podcast is something of a debate, right? I mean, we're sort of debating point counterpoint, good or bad, right? But, but, you know, but we framed it as as a discussion here, where we're sort of trying to get you know get to something better, mm-hmm. and and I think you know we're as you pointed out, like we're probably in more agreement than than not overall, but you know you don't see that in sort of the point counterpoint debates, and that's because and and so my my issue is more with it as a media tool, right? And and you know this is where it came up originally in the in the, that other podcast that we did, where you know you were sort of discussing how you know perhaps TechDirt should have more sort of point-counterpoint, you know, bring in 
say, you know, a pro-patent person to like yeah, write someone a that you, article or something. Someone that you respect. You can't tell me you don't respect anyone on the other side. <laughs> no, no, I, I do. <laughs> I, I do. But, 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 but my argument is like, I don't, I don't think that's, that's a useful thing, right? I mean, if I had It some... absolutely is. Oh my God. <laughs> Here like we if, go. <laughs> you, you absolutely could. Like if you brought, you know, someone from like, uh, you know, one of these guys that, that is like really into sort of patent rights. And then you, 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 you write out kind of your points of why you think software patents are bad. And then he'll come back to you with some, I've heard some arguments about, uh, you know, soft, you know, for against for reforming, uh, against reforming the patent system in certain ways that have actually convinced me that, that those ways of reforming the patent system are probably not sure. productive. One of, for example, one of the things that I thought would be the easiest thing is I said, why don't we just split patents into several different kinds of categories with different yep. terms? Mm -hmm. And uh, a particular patent professor told me, told me a, a great and very compelling reason of why we shouldn't, right? Which you know, I, don't, I don't know if it's important. We, we don't need to go down that. Yeah, that, we don't that, need to go that, down the road. But that professor is correct, right? You don't want to yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, so, so. I want to know, know why, but it's okay. No, another podcast. Well, it's very easy. You can basically <laughs> just say there's different interest groups that want longer and shorter yeah. terms for patents. And if you split it, those interest groups are in different um, sectors. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the software industry, which tends to want to keep patent terms shorter, will split off and no longer have an interest in changing the patent term length for, say, pharmaceutical patents. So there, the pharmaceutical industry will drag the length of the pharmaceutical patents l larger and larger, and there won't be any industry. You don't have to, a, like, a counterbalance. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I would, the, didn't think the, about that. There, there are a few other reasons why it's it's not a great idea, but, but the, this is definitely tangent. Yeah. So, so, but in, in any case, like you can, you can hear stuff like that and maybe you won't get uh, convinced on the position as a whole, but you might be convinced kind of in the, uh, in the, you know, on the small points. I'll tell you another one. I mean, it, it feels like you guys are actually closer in agreement, right? Than, yeah. than maybe it sounds. See, the point yeah. counterpoint worked, Mike. <laughs> it worked. We're, we're but, in agreement. But, yeah, but see, because, this okay, this so I think, Maz, like, I think you're, yeah. you're kind of setting up almost like a straw man, right? You're saying <laughs> point counterpoint is bad because this is what point counterpoint is, right? And in that case, it's bad, right? It's it's this way you kind of do like a binary type debate and and shouting at each other at each other that doesn't work. Whereas I don't I don't feel like I hear her saying that, right? You're, he's just saying. You should bring in other opinions of respectable people to discuss the topic, right? Which which isn't. I mean, but but I, so so but my argument is that like, and again, I'm going back to like it as a media tool, and I kind of feel like that is yeah, that that's, is, that's what that I'm trying is, to figure out what you mean by that exactly. That I I feel like that's the media copping out, right? So rather than the media going in and like actually, you know. Yeah, digging into kind of the more nuanced discussion and what is a more optimal solution that is the media saying well he says this right. she says that well that's what they think discussion decide. is right they're like look right. there's two sides because two sides makes for a good media story and check sure. it out we have both sides story over and I think that seems to be what you're railing against right and <laughs> and it, it it sort of you know it sets up the framework of like it's sort of a defense to 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 you know, silly accusations of bias. You know, people yeah, say, like, I, "Oh, if if you put out a, an article that says like, you know, you know, here's here's the solution to this big problem," someone's going to say, "Oh, right. you're you're biased, right?" No, but I get what you're saying in terms of like I think the way that maybe the media is portraying a balanced story is like, 
look, we have the, the you know, point A from one side or fact A from one side and fact B from the other side. All right, we're balanced. And it, it right. really misses the point that facts don't actually win arguments, right? And, like, and discussion is not a simple thing. Um, and that makes for a very complicated media story, which I think is difficult for, for media to present in a, in a short, like, 90-second news clip. Sure. I I agree with both of you. (laughs) I I mean, I think, I think essentially, I think we can agree with Masnick that like people just shouting in a one-sided debate is is dumb. So, but it's it's entertaining. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. If you want to talk about entertainment, (laughs) yes, it can be. If you if you agree with the stronger debater, then and and then and he's demolishing the other guy that can always be entertaining but imagine if you're on the other side and then and the, and the other person is not doing a strong showing and you're and you feel like you can do a better job and he, he's getting hammered by yeah, a talented that's debater also that's also entertaining because you're that's not that's TV. oh my god it's not that's not entertainment it, that's like entertaining <laughs> that's, in the way it's, it's painful it's painful it's, yeah, painful. it's like hitting it's, it's like hitting your toe with a hammer it's entertaining you're shouting but it's not it's not pleasurable Fair. But um, if you want to see those kinds of debates, I can always I strongly recommend watching Christopher Hitchens debating anybody, right? Like he's <laughs> yeah. he's very good at that, uh, just demolishing people. Um, all right. But uh, all right. Well, I, <laughs> you know, I've I've run out of things to argue with you about, man. All right. All right. Well, then I'm going to declare myself the winner. <laughs> I've I've been keeping score, and it's uh, Masnick seventeen, Hirsch eleven point three. <laughs> good job. Yeah. No, I. I mean, I agree. I think. I think we're we are sort of mostly in in agreement. My concern is not that that format never makes sense. Um, just that that it as, as a media tool, sense. I think it's overused, and I think it's it's sort of a cop out by by the media players. So, anyways, the media uh, does a lot of things to cop out of things. Yeah. 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 So okay. I, I think, you know, as, as, a, as a tool for sort of like, you know, bringing in opposing viewpoints, I think that's, it's, it's, it's silly. It's sort of, <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of what Hers was saying, which is that it, it becomes sort of, you know, set up the sacrificial lamb kind of thing. Um, anyways, I think that's, that's all I got <laughs> on this one. Uh, and Hirsch, I think you're done. I'm, I don't want to feel like i cut you off and didn't let you get in that final no, point. i don't i never need to have the last word all right i'm good all right well uh thanks guys this was a fun discussion and uh thanks everyone for listening and uh we'll be back again next week all right bye guys bye. Bye.